0: 84 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction. If you or anyone that you know is struggling with pornography addiction, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. There you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that is pathbackrecovery.com. Hey, let's get right at it. Uh, thanks for the great feedback from episode 83, which if you haven't listened was a Q&A episode. So, if you aren't a big fan of Q&A episodes, let me just tell you that I briefly touched on how to start difficult conversations with a spouse or a loved one, but the same concepts apply to anyone, a friend, a neighbor, a boss, a pet, you name it. And I also answered the question of if someone can truly overcome pornography addiction, which I do get asked that often. And if you or your spouse has a pattern of turning to pornography or any type of compulsive sexual behavior uh, from time to time, and then vowing never to do it again, only to succumb to impulse, I think a lot of people kind of settle in and just figure that's their lot in life, but uh, it doesn't have to be. So I would encourage you to go back and listen to that portion. And... I went all in, and I shared a bit of my own journey into a diagnosis of ADHD, um, or actually uh, specifically ADHD subattentive type, which is uh, also known as ADD, at the ripe young age of about 46, and that, my friends, apparently is what a lot of folks wanted to hear more about. Um, not just my particular journey, but ADHD in general, and I shared that I'm planning on doing a lot more with ADHD in the coming weeks, and, uh, and let me, let me kind of let you in on a little bit of a secret. So on my Instagram account last week, and my Instagram name is simply Virtual Couch, all one word. I shared that I had just completed an interview with an amazing woman, a fellow therapist named Christine Hammond, and she is host of the extremely popular podcast Understanding Today's Narcissist. Well, I had finished an interview with her, and uh, and that interview won't go out for about another week or so. But there was just so much good info on that podcast when I finished, or when I finished that interview. Um, I just, I just felt like I wanted to get that out there as soon as I could. So I, I decided I encourage folks to find the Virtual Couch account on YouTube. And I went ahead and I posted the video of my interview with Christine last week on the Virtual Couch YouTube channel. And it is it is packed full of information on narcissism, personality disorders in general. So, and she's just, she knows her stuff and she's really fun. And it was just a really, I really enjoyed that interview. So please go check it out. And if you'd be so kind while you're there, go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Um, that is truly something I have not put a lot of effort into, but I've been putting a lot of uploads of the, the videos that I do, or the videos, <laughs> um, a lot of, um, I've been putting the interview. That I do video of up there So I do upload a lot of the the, the video interviews They're up there And uh, matter of fact, the interview that I'm doing today Or the podcast I'm doing today With Rebecca Williams and Julie Kraft That is up there And uh, there's a couple of things I even point out In the audio version of the podcast Where I think I even said Man, if you can see what they just did And that's uh, good stuff um, You'll want to go watch that as well um, hey, that was my ADD happening right there. The reason why I started telling you that story was that you'll also find an interview up there right now with a person who is a licensed educational psychologist. His name's Reed Ward. And that's another interview I happened to do last week that's slated to be a podcast episode in about another two or three weeks. But again, such great content that I wanted to just sneak it up there for anybody who wanted to hear more about what to look for if you believe that your child may have a learning disability like dyslexia or if you think your child may have ADHD or how do I know if my child may fit somewhere on the autism spectrum. Um, Reid and I cover all of that, again, on the Virtual Couch YouTube channel, so so go find it. Um, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but please go up there and subscribe, and I'd love it if you'll join me at Virtual Couch on Instagram and sign up to hear more about upcoming programs at TonyOverbay.com and all that good stuff. All enough said. So today's podcast... Is incredible. It was just, it was so much fun. I interviewed two incredibly positive women, Dr. Rebecca Williams and Julie Kraft, who is a fellow licensed marriage and family therapist. And they recently released their second book, and this one is titled The Gift of Recovery 52 Mindful Ways to Live Joyfully Beyond Addiction. And you can find it on Amazon or probably anywhere that you go for books. But right right now, please do not leave if you think this is just an episode that focuses simply on addiction and, you know, if that's something that you don't feel like you're interested in or if, you know, if you feel like uh, this isn't a topic that applies to you because the, the chance is you probably know someone that has struggled with or suffering with addiction or there's a good, I don't want to say, I don't want to put doom and gloom, but I mean that uh, or that you may run into that in the future with someone in your own family. But Rebecca and Julie honestly do an incredible job at talking about what the heck mindfulness really is and how you can implement it in small ways that can immediately help you in your life right now. And it doesn't matter if you are – you don't have to be an alcoholic or addicted to pornography or any of that. I mean if you're like most people, I'm guessing there are areas of your life that you would like to improve. I mean right now, even small areas – and the tools that they teach in this book and on this podcast, hopefully today, can can really help you look, kind of know what everybody's talking about when they're saying, oh, I just need to be more present and change the relationship with my thoughts and that sort of thing. Again, I, one of the podcasts I did earlier a few weeks ago, it's not about just saying, all right, I know I just have to be happy. I have to grit through it. It's not about that. It's more about just being present and uh, not not chasing a lot of that negative self-talk, not falling into the trap of believing all the negative self-talk that our brains so often try and get us to believe because again, they want us the our brains want us to just stay right here. They know what this feels like right here. Uh, they're a little bit afraid of change. So please give this episode a listen and uh, check out their book. Now quickly, a bit of background on these two incredible people. Um, Rebecca Williams PhD Dr. Rebecca Williams is a psychologist she's a teacher she's an author she's a mentor and she specializes in recovery from mental illness and addictions she received a master's degree from Harvard and her PhD from the University of California Santa Barbara which I think would just be an incredible place to go I Had a daughter go to a camp there one time and they literally look at the beach which is just crazy at that university. She's currently the, a clinical director at the Veteran Affairs um, San Diego Healthcare System. In addition, she's an associate clinical professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of California, San Diego, and an adjunct faculty member at the University of San Diego. Dr. Williams is co-author of another book entitled Couple Therapy for Alcoholism, A Cognitive Behavioral Treatment Manual, and uh, she also she co-authored another book with Julie, um, who is the co-author of this book that was called The Mindfulness Workbook for Addiction, A Guide to Coping with Grief, Stress, and Anger that Trigger Addictive Behaviors. So now, on to Julie Kraft. Julie Kraft is a licensed marriage and family therapist with a master's degree from the University of San Diego, and since completing her master's degree, Julie has worked with also with the Department of Veterans Affairs, um, the uh, Sharp Mesa Vista Hospital, and the University of San Diego, where she taught systemic treatment of substance abuse to graduate students in the Marriage and Family Therapy Master's Program. So again, she is the co-author of the book that I just mentioned with Rebecca Williams, The Mindfulness Workbook for Addiction, A Guide to Coping with the Grief, Stress, and Anger that Trigger Addictive Behaviors. And then also this book, The Gift of Recovery, 52 Mindful Ways to Live Joyfully Beyond Addiction. Um, She's presented at a lot of addiction and mental health conferences. She speaks on these subjects on radio shows, podcasts like mine. And she loves nothing more than helping people find joy and sobriety. And I think that you will get every bit of that um, will come through in this uh, interview, both from Julie and Rebecca. So without any further ado, let's get to my interview with Rebecca Williams and Julie Kraft. Okay, but I am curious though as, as I'm as I'm talking with the two of you uh, titles so I mean I know we have a PhD we have an LMFT and maybe a little bit of insider baseball a lot of therapists listen to the virtual couch so uh, Rebecca, do you make Julie call you doctor
1: <laughs> At the beginning I did what okay. we first <laughs> yeah but now it's just first name only <laughs> okay
0: all right so uh, I don't know are, are you okay if I just uh, Rebecca and Julie is that okay all right. Of course. Okay. Um, and, and on that note, I mean, I do feel, and that's the part where a lot of people just assume Julie that you and I are, I mean, basically we can prescribe medication. I mean, that's what we get, right. Is an LMFT, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. but for, yeah, for those listening that aren't uh, familiar with, uh, um, Julie and I licensed marriage and family therapist, uh, Rebecca, um, PhD. So is it in, uh, is it clinical psychology is that's right. Okay. Uh-huh. And, i will note and i and i know i just told you guys i'll go over your bios and in the intro and i will have already said amazing glowing things about you um right. but uh but you know a lot of the i love the fact that the the two of you collaborate together um because i think a lot of uh, therapists we feel a little bit insecure inadequate you know around our our phd colleagues so tell me how did you guys meet how did you collaborate tell me that story
2: Oh, great. I love that story. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So actually um, Rebecca was teaching in my graduate program. She was teaching systemic treatment of substance abuse.
3: Ah, okay.
2: Yeah. So that's how we originally met was she was my professor. Uh, and I think we connected at that time. And then after I finished graduate school, I went on to do an internship with Rebecca as my supervisor. Oh, perfect. Okay. Yeah. BA. So um, it was during that internship and working closely together clinically that we, um, ended up discussing the book, which had been Rebecca's idea. The first book, The Mindfulness Workbook for Addiction.
0: Yeah. And and what, year, what year was that? The Mindfulness Workbook for Addiction.
2: Yeah, they came out in 2012.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And and Rebecca um, put you on the spot here. Did you, was Julie the uh, the shining star in the class? Was, you know, right?
1: <laughs> I have to say something. Right. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, Julie really stood out and I, I taught that class for five years, and she was really the top 1% of the Mm -hmm. students that I worked with, um, and I saw that right away. And when she came to work at the VA hospital, um, clearly she just continued to improve her skills, improve her um, ability to interact with the staff, and just, I saw a beautiful progression of a clinician, and I definitely wanted to work with that person.
0: I love it. And Rebecca, when did you start having the idea of the book, the first book, the mindfulness um, workbook?
1: Uh, yes, the mindfulness workbook for addiction I, I had in my mind for about 15 years prior to writing it Wow, okay Maybe that's how you are sometimes, you have an idea and it's just sitting there Yeah Most people are like that, they have great ideas but not going anywhere But I really, um, we originally were thinking about what was missing in the literature mm-hmm. And one of the things missing in the literature originally that we were talking about was the fact that A lot of people who are either in addiction or in recovery have a lot of losses Okay and I couldn't find anything in the literature that really spoke specifically to how to handle loss, how to be well when you're talking about loss in in addiction and in recovery. So Julie and I started collaborating, talking about, you know, our clients, what were we noticing? And a lot of them were, were, were grieving, either grieving the loss of their addiction, of course, mm-hmm. or they were grieving other um, loss of friends, family members, and even... Um, their, their youth, their childhood, if they had a, a trauma in, in early childhood. So we talked more and unpackaged this idea and we, we presented it to New Harbinger together. Okay. And um, New Harbinger loved it, but they wanted us to really add in a beautiful mindfulness component, which we ended up loving also. And we and we incorporated mindfulness addiction recovery and uh handling loss
0: okay so that's uh i so i was going to ask you rebecca have you always been a mindfulness practitioner or was that something that kind of came into your practice later
1: that's such a good question it's a it's one of those scary questions because I have been a yoga practitioner for 35 years. Okay. um, I started doing yoga in college and I started teaching yoga. I was a private exercise trainer in New York City for a number of years. And I always had a wellness piece to to me, but psychology was calling all the time. So I ended up putting the yoga and the mindfulness aside, getting a PhD, which of course is mind blowing, but not, not, not very mindful. And, um, you know, then eventually came back to meditation and mindfulness, realizing to be in this profession, you probably know, uh, you have to super duper take care of yourself. And to me, I use mindfulness to take care of myself. And I also noticed that clients, um, really do start feeling better once we integrate mindfulness. So it was a, a win-win.
0: When I feel like uh, I really came to it about five or six years ago, and now I feel, uh, how did I do therapy without it? And uh, and so that's I like that that story. I assumed that you know you had been to Tibet, you know you had done all of these things in your youth. So I love hearing that um, even though you had that that yoga practice, you you came to mindfulness maybe as a practice later.
1: Exactly. Okay. Uh,
0: Julie, were you, were you a mindfulness person? And before you started down your path to uh, becoming a therapist?
2: You know, I think of myself more as mindless. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, really. I mean, when I think about myself with mindfulness, I I always have to have a chuckle because I do, I'm so prone, like many of my clients. So I get it. I'm so prone to future thinking, everything kind of planned out the next, you know, um, and really like, way, way far into the future. So I can certainly find whatever scary possibility it might be lurking there somewhere. I'm going to prepare for it. Um, so that's kind of how my mind tends to work. So, um, but yes, it is something that has become important to me, obviously to, uh, to contrast what's a very naturally anxious mind for me.
0: Well, let me, if, if you guys don't mind too, I want to get your, your, do you just have a, ge- a kind of a general definition of what that looks like? And then I want to, and then I want to jump a little bit ahead to, or after that talk about, Um, because I feel like people do hear, I, I, now you're, you know, I apologize. My thought just went at a thousand miles an hour, but about mindfulness now, I know there are people that are like, Oh, okay. The mindfulness thing, right. You know, when are they going to talk about a ponytail and a robe and a mat? (laughs) So, I mean, before we get to that, it's not that what is mindfulness. So for the person listening right now, that feels like they've heard it a lot, but they really don't know what it means. Can you guys speak to that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So our basic definition that we use in our books, um, and I think for ourselves, is an awareness of the present moment without judgment. Okay. Right? So it's really, it's staying in the present, it's being in the now as people tend to connect with. Um, but it's also the sense of like, welcoming and non-judgmentalism with the okay. experience. Um, so that emotions that arise and experiences that arise, we can kind of sit with those and observe them. And, and, you know, we don't have to love them, but we can be okay. And we can kind of, um, invite whatever life brings and kind of move with it. Is that perfectly set?
0: Okay. Because what, I mean, I'm sure you guys run into this all the time. But So at first, when you first lay that out to a client though, what do they typically, how do they respond
2: it's a good question. It really depends on the client. You know, some people have been taking some yoga or, you know, and, uh, they can really grab hold of like, yes, when I'm in the moment, like that's what I want more of. I want to be present. You know, I have some clients that really grab hold of that. And I think for others it's, you know, what does that really mean? And what are you talking about? I need to plan. I'm busy. That's, you know.
0: Yeah. That's what I see a lot. Right. It's like, I've had people tell me, okay, but that means I'm not dealing with things, you know, And, uh, you know, I don't know if I can throw a unscientific study out. That's what, uh, you know, Rebecca, this might be hard on your, (laughs) okay. But I, I feel like when I, I, I've just got this, uh, 25% of clients that come in almost just when I try to just get passionate about mindfulness are just in one ear out the other, you know, I, I must not understand if I'm really just telling them that this is what they need to do. I feel like I get about 50% that that really do love the idea. They know that that could be beneficial. They do a little bit of it. And so then they'll come in and, and tell me, and I did the breathing thing and it was kind of cool, but but then it didn't work, you know? And I feel like I get about 25% that then within, you know, by the time they're done, they're coming in and they're saying to me, you know, Tony, it's really not about, you know, and, they're, and they've are they gone all Zen on. Me. So, I mean, that's my unscientific. What do you guys see? I mean, do you see similar or do you, what do you see?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I I think that's, also been my experience, yeah, and you know, you mentioned clients saying it's not working too, and that's something that um, in my process as a therapist, I've had to really help people and coach people on practicing before they need it, right? Like you, yes, yes. You can't take a deep breath when you're at a ten; like it's not going to yeah. do much, yeah. right? You're going to write off that coping skills. It's really, um, I think of it a lot like anger management. I tell my clients, like, I wouldn't tell you, like, you know, you're about to hit someone, count to 10. Right. right? That's not when we do it. We notice what's happening in the body, a little tension starting to build, and then we try it out and see what happens. Um, And I like to tell clients, too, like, you know, if you were at a six, the situation could bump you to a ten pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So, like in the morning, we're going to bring you down, so you're starting at like a zero or a mm-hmm. one or a two, and then maybe you get bumped to a six, but you can still use your you know coping skills at that point.
0: Okay, this um, has to this has to go on YouTube now because when you were saying that, both of you just you have moved your body, you got all you—it's like you're letting go of everything. It was it was <laughs> so fun to watch. Yeah, and, you
1: know, that's exactly when we were writing the book, and Julie and I would. Would send a chapter back and forth. We had fifty-two chapters, so okay. there's a lot of back and forth, um, and editing and reviewing. Whenever I read one of Julie's chapters, I just instantly calmed down. <laughs> yeah. Just reading a couple of pages yeah. of what she was writing, it just mm-hmm. I just felt so good. I felt so relaxed, Then I was able to write and reflect. Mm-hmm. So just you know, reading a little bit about it, mm-hmm. and even reading uh, an affirmation, yeah, even one affirmation kind of gets the shoulders a little more relaxed. You're not so invested in the outcome of something. Yeah. Um, so that's been our experience uh, in both books, but certainly this this gift of recovery, it's yeah. been amazing. And hopefully we want to make sure that the, the reader can actually feel their shoulders loosening yeah. up and yeah. breathing, yeah. releasing any tension.
0: Well, And I love uh, Julie said that it's so difficult, I think at times to try to convince someone when the waters are calm to do the work, Right. right? But, and, and, and I feel like then when they come in and, okay, you're right. I wasn't doing the stuff. Or, you know, when you work with someone who maybe has, has relapsed and here comes the shame and the guilt. And I, you know, then I know I wasn't doing the work and see how bad I am. And, but I mean, what do you do with that? I mean, what do you do when you get those kind of clients? What do you say?
2: Yeah. For me, it's about like right there in the session when you just said it to me, I know I would be taking a really slow, deep breath with yeah.
3: that. Right? Yeah
2: because they mirror that too. Like we're doing it together. Like, Ooh, I'm feeling that shame. My chest right now, like you're carrying this weight, you know, and just kind of sitting with them in that and experiencing it together. um, I think is the first thing that I do. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in terms of what I would be talking about, it would, I, when it comes to mindfulness, I love to to think small. Like, Mm. it doesn't have to mean you have a meditation room Mm -hmm. and you're going to yoga every single day and you're, you know, this is your whole devotion now. It can be a lot smaller or simpler than that. Like, for me, it has a lot to do with, um, five senses that's what I connect to the most in my own practice so something like um when I'm cooking like chopping mm-hmm. and noticing the sensation of chopping mm-hmm. the vegetables or washing my hands yes. and feeling the water and just like just for a moment just being there and it's small and it helps right so let's not build it up so it has to be all or nothing because we know oh. all or nothing is a favorite of clients right yeah and yeah. all of us
0: yeah yeah no that's great because so, and I like what you're saying, because when, when they are bringing that into the room, and then all of a sudden you are able to kind of say, you bet we're feeling it, aren't we? Right. This is, but, uh, and then, and then the, the just being, uh, uber present. And I love that. Uh, there's a, a couple of therapists here that went to a training where I think that, I guess I heard they took about 20 minutes to eat a blueberry, you know, but it was the most amazing blueberry of their lives. Right. Um, yeah. yeah.
2: Yes. So mindful eating is something that I really gravitate towards because I think eating itself is one of the most mindless things that we do. Right. Um, so you invite clients in session to usually it's something like a raisin um, mm. or a small cracker or something, and to break it down into some steps and really uh, experience it mindfully and just see what that's like. That's a great exercise.
0: Okay. Let's talk about the book. So um, the gift of recovery, I, I have it uh, right here. Um, 52 mindful ways to live joyfully beyond addiction. This, I think this shows the truth. It is bent. That means it has been right. <laughs> And I really, I you know, I have people send me books, and I'm grateful for that. But yours, I, I just, I, I devoured. I mean, matter of fact, I noticed I was feeling anxious that I wanted to get to the next chapter. Mm. Um, so then I was uh, very aware of that. Read through it, stayed very present. Um, so, what motivated you to write this book? Then we talked about how Rebecca had this 15 year plan. I missed an opportunity for a joke of when you know Julie was just a young child. You know, was, <laughs> again, if you see the YouTube video, right. Um, <laughs> So when what, what then what led to this the the second book?
1: Yeah, yeah. well, the um, publishers actually came back to us. They said the first book, Mindfulness for, for Addiction, was really doing well. It was getting great reviews. Um, people were really loving it, and and the publisher actually asked us to write a kind of a pocket guide, a follow up oh. that was smaller, more accessible, and more in a gift format so that it can be given out in recovery centers for the holidays. and Yeah. So, so we love that idea. Mm. However, life um, is busy. So we really had to reflect whether we had the the time and the energy to write the second book, to do it right, to do it right, to do it the way we wanted to do it, that it gravitates to to people who really get it. um, Mm. So it took a bit of thinking Mm. and communication. Yeah. But I think when
2: that arose, um, it was a strange time for me. I my, I just had my second baby. So I had like oh. a two-year-old and a little oh. baby at home. And, you know, the cognitive part of me is going like, this is nuts. You know what a commitment this is. You've done this before. Right. Um, and then... You know, not to sound hooey, but like the energetic part of me, the emotional part of me, just uh, the spiritual part of me was just going like, yeah, this is it. Like to sit and collaborate with Rebecca again. Um, And in that kind of fragile time for me of a little chaos at home with the two small children, to be, you know, each day sitting down and thinking about coping and writing about coping. It was it was exactly a, just a wonderful, wonderful thing for me mm-hmm. um, to do. So it really was a bright spot and I think really helpful for me um, during that first year of, of my second child's life. Oh, yeah. So
0: it was the the writing the book itself became therapeutic. I mean, and, and oh, the mindfulness activity. That's, that's yeah. brilliant. I mean, and I feel like I'm going to sound cheesy now and saying, okay, knowing that it, it really does. I feel like it comes through. I mean, I feel like the book's incredibly genuine and it's just so strength based and uplifting and which is, man, what we need to help in in addiction. I want to say real quick too, um, when you talk about addiction, I feel like most people do assume that it has to be some heavy, you know, drug or alcohol or sex addiction or, or, but these concepts work with what?
1: Everything.
0: Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's about living like, you know, Rebecca was talking earlier about wellness and how Mm -hmm important it is for her to always be well in her work, you know, so that transmits in the sessions. And that's something that she has always taught me and was so critical for me to learn that like self-care is so important so we can be our best selves, whatever our job is, therapist or otherwise. Um, And so I do think what's in the book is really about being well and living a joyful and kind of free, peaceful kind of life. So yeah, I think that most people want that kind of thing.
1: And, um, you know, I just finished reading Deepak Chopra's new book called The Healing Self. And, and he has one quote in there that I love. You're either busy healing or you're busy celebrating. Mm-hmm. And wow. I, I was, at the time, I was thinking, you know, I at, when we were beginning to write this book, I was like, I'm about busy healing right mm-hmm. now. So that book helped me heal. Our book, at uh, each day, each week, uh, it took about, what, a year or more to write. Okay. Or, yeah. yeah, it takes take some time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I used it as a healing year. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was helpful to think about writing in that way.
0: Okay. So I love it. I mean, that's, I think that, yeah, the self-care. So I feel like whether it is someone who even wants to just improve a bit on their eating habits or spending or any of those things that those concepts all kind of just give you that little pause before the acting on the. The impulse, right?
2: Yes, absolutely. And,
0: no, I like it. Uh, can, I, can I ask you a couple of questions? I don't want to get to some of the stuff in the book. Um, so you know, I think one of you had mentioned, well, no, I think Rebecca, when you were talking about working in the field of addiction, uh, I think a lot of people do assume that it's just extremely heavy. Um, what do you enjoy the most about it or kind of what kind of keeps you going in that in the field?
1: That's a super question, Tony, because mm-hmm. I've been in the field 20 years now, and I've okay. been reflecting on this myself, the idea of longevity and the mm-hmm. idea of what does it take to be a mental health provider for five years, 10 years, tw- 20 years, mm-hmm. what? <laughs> uh, you know, and a lot of the people that I see are are just starting and don't realize that you need wellness through the entire entire career. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, working with addiction to me, to me, I think the success is Um, are huge huge. even day-to-day successes that the clients Mm -hmm. um, come back and tell me about are pretty special and Mm -hmm. I can feel their joy in finding a life without addiction and finding fun and excitement Mm -hmm. and connection and attachment without drugs or alcohol or whatever whatever the behavior is so to me it's worth it just to see that Um, and then it goes up from there Mm -hmm. so that's Yeah,
3: yeah. Absolutely. Same dream. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: I I feel the same way. I, I absolutely love working in addiction because I get to see the process of change maybe even more rapidly mm-hmm. than with other situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um when people do um you know, become abstinent, get clean, it's over, make change, whatever that looks like for them. Um, It is profound. It's just so profound. And, you know, watching people's eyes light up and the skin becomes clearer and they feel just more confident in their bodies and they're reporting these like really surprised, right? Like, and then, you know, I I had, you know, dinner with my husband and just having dinner with my husband was fun without wine. And I, you know, it's just, ah, you know, the excitement, like I can feel it right now. I just love witnessing that and getting to be kind of a little part of that journey. It's just, really, really fun for me.
0: Yeah, no, I hear you. Um, what, do you feel like the when you do have the clients that get some success and then there might be relapse? I mean, do you see that as as difficult? Do you see that as part of the process? Do you see that as teaching moments? What is that like
2: I think I would say all of the above, like okay. everything you just said, absolutely. I, I think it's difficult. It's, it's hard for me still to watch my clients suffer. It's, mm. you know, it's just me. I feel it with them. I wish that it was smooth all the time. Um, and yet at the same time, it's absolutely a teaching moment. And it's wonderful for a relapse to happen in treatment because yes. they get to bring it back. Yeah. And we get to look at it together. Um, right. And I get to bring that compassion and hopefully help them internalize some self-compassion there um, and keep moving forward. So that's a wonderful thing. And, of course, yeah, it can be disheartening. And, and it can be a little scary, right? Like, will it stop here, or where's this going? Let's, you know, our guards up a little bit now, and um, yeah. yeah. So it's, that definitely all unfolds in the room,
1: I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And um, I really work with the clients on what do you want. You know, okay. <laughs> like I, you know, I ask myself that too sometimes. What do I want? Mm-hmm. And um, so it's just a goal oriented approach, a positive, a positive approach to what's going to be happening next for the for, for clients mm-hmm. and for our, you know, therapeutic relationship, mm-hmm. for trust, for mm-hmm. 90% of people relapse, according yeah. to the research, is mm-hmm. it 80 yeah. to 90%, something yeah. like, so I think it's part of the work, yeah. I don't, I, you know, I tai chi it, I don't, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't fight it, I'm not like, I'm not, you know, fighting a relapse, I'm just assuming that um, for some of my client for majority of the clients, there's a chance that. Mm-hmm a relapse could happen. Um so we talk about it beforehand. Mm-hmm. I can I can see a client being pre relapse. I said, you know, it looks like you're in relapse even though they haven't had a drink or used yeah.
3: drugs
1: on the behavior yet. I can feel it. I'm sure they can feel it too. Yeah. And we talk about it before it happens. Right. And that's, that's awesome. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Well, oh, and I like, uh, I mean, I like how you're just, I, I'm grateful that you put out that statistic because I mean, I do even, you know, I'm noticing in my own brain that struggle of when a client is saying, uh, you know, if I, I don't want to ever relapse again and not wanting to kind of just say, hey, look, you're probably going to, you know, because you, I know we go with that struggle of where well, we don't want to be handing them this license, right? But then also wanting them to know that, like, I love what you said. That's just, I'm still here. That's part of the process. I'm gonna. We're gonna work with it. Sometimes, you know, I'll say, you know, they'll say, "I'm sure you're disappointed," and and I say, "No, I'm glad that we can work on this together." Right? Yeah. yeah. But, but I like to, so to yeah. bring it to the
2: room. It really well,
0: that's I say I like uh, I like Rebecca when you're saying I haven't really thought of that. The the like they are relapsing yet they're not I mean because you're right I we notice, and I feel like when we were talking earlier about how it's hard to get people to do the work when the waters are calm that I, right so when you start to see them say yeah, I think I'm good you know I don't think I need the mindfulness practice every day or you know I have I, I've been too busy to exercise or whatever is that kind of what you're talking about where you start to see uh
2: okay yeah. I love that yeah. It, up, yeah it shows up in a lot of ways and I'm, I'm sure you've heard this but they say that relapse is a process not an event right yeah.
3: so it's an event. Well,
2: it's the process of relapse. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, it shows up in a lot of ways. It shows up in not going to meetings or yeah. um, not connecting with other sober people or, or not exercising and not meditating, whatever it is for mm-hmm. them. Um, and then you notice just these little choices, yeah. these choice mm-hmm. points, right, where it used to be uh, we come to a crossroads, and when we're really committed to recovery, it's the recovery choice, like, okay, I'm going to decide to call my sponsor or mm-hmm. I'm going to skip that event because I feel a little weird or, and suddenly it's, I, you know, like, well, I talked to my ex-boyfriend, we used to use together, but I don't think he's using anymore, you know, where you just, you, a therapist, your gut goes, you know, yeah, yeah. Goes,
0: yeah. yeah. And maybe that's a good way to jump into all this really quick, right out of the beginning. Um, you start out talking about the noise in your head. Um, and I love that we normalize that a lot of people feel like that's unique to them or all the feelings and, um, that accompany recovery. And then, uh, I would, you want to know, I'm really curious uh, when you collaborate on a book, who, whose quote is, just like a garden that needs to have sunshine, food, and water on a regular basis, your recovery will need to grow or will grow and thrive when you begin to nourish it with a steady supply of mindfulness. Whose quote?
1: <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't know. love, take I love it. it. I love I it. Think it Julie, but
0: yeah. <laughs> okay. I I was like, okay, I, I'd love, I thought one of you would be like, I, I think it was me, even though you're like, it was me, right? Okay.
1: <laughs> Is
2: merged so immediately <laughs> yeah. the it's collaboration is real. It's real. all in there.
0: That's yeah. Good. That's really I love that. That's the, that's the no, but I love that one. Um all right. So are you okay fire? I mean, I want to know if some of the chapters that stick out to you. I've written down some notes on things that I love. Um well how, where do we go next? Can I go? Like, can I go? Can I go? You okay, yeah. cool. All right. Um and so there's a few, uh, the human brain, you talk about the built-in reward system or the reward pathway. So, I, I mean, I love how, can you just kind of explain that in layman's terms? What is, what is that?
2: Sure. Okay. So I'll try to stick to layman's terms. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, it's the the dopamine that that goes off in the brain, right? So it is a reward system. So the brain is set up um, from an evolutionary standpoint to reward us when we do something that helps us survive or helps the species survive. Mm -hmm. So that includes exploring our environment. We get a little dopamine hit that feels good, right? Um, Sex, obviously. Food, Mm -hmm. dopamine hits, right? Um, All of those. So the way this applies to addiction is that – certain substances and certain behaviors really hijack that natural system and shoot the dopamine through the roof, right? So it's extremely rewarding and it is training us, training our brain to get more, to get more, to get more. And mm-hmm. it kind of goes from there. And unfortunately, it's not just constant rewards at that point that while we're using these substances, it's kind of burning out the dopamine. So it's not as pleasurable as it used to be. So you hear people talk about the first high, they have chasing the first high um, because the brain really can't experience that pleasure the way that it did. Um, So it is really, when you think about it, when I talk to clients about this, like it really messes with you, right? Like the the substance is telling you to have more and more, but it's not going to feel as good Mm -hmm. and you just keep trying and keep trying and the tolerance goes up. So
0: that's
2: the picture of that. Yeah.
0: Which then makes sense is when we get back to the concept of mindfulness, that we have to learn how to live with those feelings because it's natural or normal your brain's just thinking it's doing what it's supposed to give me more, right?
2: Yes. Yeah. To sit with and tolerate those urges. Absolutely.
0: So, um, on in chapter four, it's mastering the breath. And I feel like that's one of those where, again, those who aren't, they, they, they view mindfulness as this thing that, you know, they don't understand, Mm -hmm. but boy, the breath really is key. Um, I don't know. Do one of you want to address that or what are your thoughts on what, would you, what do you tell somebody that how important the breath is going to be other than the fact that it keeps us alive,
2: right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I, I know that I wrote a lot about that in the book actually, mm-hmm. because I, when I think about the fact that the breath is keeping us alive and it's not something I have to like make myself do all day, it's just oh. happening. Um, I really like that kind of shift in thinking is that this is so powerful. It's something that, um, you know, it might be a little dark, but I think about, you know, being underwater and if you swim mm-hmm. a little too far and you come up right in that gasp, like how much the breath, like we hold on to that and, and how much we need it and want it and um, how sustaining the breath is. And yet it's just happening outside of my awareness. Like it's just, I'm just being supported in that way is how I think about it. Like, wow, I don't have to try hard or convince somebody to let me breathe. Like it's, it's happening naturally. So that I think of as kind of like a gift. Um, But the fact that it's happening outside of awareness is something that we do try to uh, focus in on in the Mm -hmm. book and help people combat a little bit Um, because it is so powerful. If we can just bring our awareness to the breath and really pay attention to the breath and then even kind of use the breath right? We can actually focus in and we can lengthen the breath. We can deepen the breath. We can, you know, really use it to benefit us to the utmost. Um, and it's pretty simple and it's always accessible to us and we can do it with one breath or we can do it for five minutes or more. Um, it's really a, a great doorway to mindfulness, I think.
0: Yeah. So, so do you feel like, and I think this is the thing where those of us who practice the mindfulness or you know, I, when I have a client to say, you know, and I tried the deep breathing thing, I feel like I hear that often, but you know, what do you say to that? Or how do you get someone out of that? I, I know I'm just supposed to take a couple of deep breaths. I mean, how do you, how do you tap into, you know, that kind of a new, and uh, maybe help them with this epiphany of, we're not just talking about, you know, you know, right. Yeah.
2: right. Well, for some of those people, not everybody, but for some of those people, the gateway for me has been, um, going cognitive a little bit. Okay. If it sounds silly or it sounds, you know, simple, um, really talking about the nervous system, the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. And you know, what's happening to the body when you're feeling stressed and fight or flight, Yeah. um, And the fact that like, you can actually take control and kick in that parasympathetic nervous system and bring yourself back down again. And here's how you do it. It's somehow for some people that really helps it click a little bit more.
0: I love it. Yeah. So that actually controlling the breath can help, uh, lower cortisol levels and release these other, I mean, you can literally take control of your, uh, fight or flight response, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. No, I love that. Um, Uh, chapter eight, anger, you have a Zen proverb that is wonderful. Um, let go or be dragged. Uh, and I just, I, I'm going to force one thing in and I want to hear you guys talk about because I think anger is boy, just is at the core of so much of, um, I know this uh, feeling unlovable or feeling out of control or these things that people turn to addiction. Um, there's a Ted talk. I did a podcast on acceptance and commitment therapy where the speaker just said the easiest way to stop playing tug of war with the monster in our brains is to let go of the rope. And I, I don't know, I never really thought of it that way. So I love that proverb. And so, yeah, and then your chapter eight was amazing. So what do you, you know, who wants to take on that one? The anger, what, what do you, how do you guys uh, work with anger?
2: I'm giving this one to Rebecca <laughs> because she always says that she loves anger. It's
1: my favorite. <laughs> you tapped into my favorite feeling. Um, okay. You know, I, I, I agree, let go or be dragged. I found this proverb and it just hit me. And uh, as awesome Mm -hmm. and so i use it in my own life i just try to literally take something in my hand anger frustration irritation and i just turn my hand over
3: Uh, okay
1: and and i and i go oh my gosh (laughs) it's on the ground um so anger is something that i think for some reason this time in our lives everyone is irritated and angry about Mm -hmm. something pretty much every week um not just Therapy, but in everything, mm-hmm. so um, I just I don't fight it. I I acknowledge it. I bring it into the room. I bring it in, and and I kind of observe it. I take a look at it. I, as Julie said, I kind of want to get the texture of it, the color of it. I kind of want to be like um, someone who's just kind of tapping into it and 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 respecting, in my opinion, mm. because I grew up in a in a rough part of town in the Bronx, New York. Wow. I, I, I definitely, um, have residual anger, I think. And so I definitely have to really keep myself in check and figure out, is this, um, a reaction, um, that matches the situation. And okay. So for me, I, that's why I love it. Cause I'm, I'm constantly bringing it in to myself, understanding it, figuring it out and not being mad at anger. I mean, that mm-hmm. sounds odd, but I, I actually enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And I like to look at it from a distance and check it out.
0: Okay, is that though? Is that the time when someone can enjoy it? Is when they kind of stop and then they have that awareness around? I like what you're saying. What is it? What does it look like? The texture, the color? I mean, just really, because then it's just like what is external thing. Well, which I guess is why I like that you can then get it in your hand and and get rid of it.
2: Absolutely. And a lot of our meditations in the book actually, I think, are externalizing emotion. Or to observe them like mm-hmm. that's, you know, I, I know we have one about it called liquid mood where you're asked mm-hmm. to kind of like pour the mood out and like play with it almost like silly putty kind of thing uh-huh. and experience it that in, in that way. Um, yeah. And I think one thing that's, Rebecca is so strong and clinically is her willingness to sit with anger. Um, because I know for a lot of us, including myself, sometimes anger in the room is like, Oh, this is the one I better soothe quickly. Right, right. Or, you know, what time is the session over, you know, and um, to be able to really sit with it. Um, I think, again, the client can mirror that like, this is also one of my many emotions. Mm-hmm. It is also safe for me to explore it. Oh, I don't yeah. have react against it, Um, I can be with that and it's not going to destroy my relationships, it's not going to destroy my whole world Um, because I don't think it's the anger itself, it's our reactions to our emotions, right, that can cause damage. Um, Anger can be really fabulous and healthy, like we talk about this in the book, but anger is um, in a lot of ways an awareness of our own boundaries, like I'm angry because my boundary got crossed, like now I know I have a boundary there, Mm -hmm. right? Okay, so, I'm learning about myself and learning about my relationships, and now I can make choices and mm-hmm. um, not be driven into chaos, but I can make some real choices um, about how I want to move through the world because I got this little alert system called the feeling. And if I'm willing to look at it, then
1: I can use it.
0: That's nice. That is
1: yeah, nice. And, and I think that people are doing angry emails and angry texts and, and <laughs> more, right? I don't know if you're hearing this in your practice. Oh, probably,
0: yes. But, yeah, I'm right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah yeah I said, you know they'll still give you the phone and say, look, look what I sent out. you know I was like, ooh yeah, slow down yes. but, uh, i I just try to help folks um wait. I mean, in mm-hmm. other words, anger is temporary, just like every other emotion, and that's yeah. now that's a mm-hmm. teaching moment, and that's cool, yeah. but um with these texts and these emails, I just say, if you need to write it, hold it, send it to yourself, mm-hmm. and let's talk just give it, give it a day twenty four hours, let it breathe and let it you know like we said let it release itself and usually in 24 hours folks can actually take another look at their text or their email which people don't want to wait that long but right that's help yeah um and they can say you know i didn't send it i thought about it and um, if everyone did that um, with with angry texts and emails (laughs) we would be such a little smoother
0: little planet you know yes. than we so, okay uh you have to if you, it's okay two of tony's ADD moments and yeah and i just did third person i'm aware um <laughs> the first one is that i love when you said you know see this uh, text i love when i have clients that are you know and then i said and she said and i said and they're like well wait a minute i'm not sure what i said there and then they pull out their phone and i'm like oh it was all over text right all of
2: that yeah. Yeah. yes yes yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or they'll be telling you. And so then I said this and you go, wait, what is this? <laughs> oh, <I know>. This <laughs> is all, this is happening
0: all the time. And then I always want to, yeah. Or, and I was like, really like the hot thumbs or, you know, okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, you guys see that too. The other part of that is, um, I, I honestly looked at, I wasted 30 minutes on the app store one day trying to find a, some, I was like, there's gotta be an app where it's going to not text for 12 hours or you can set mm-hmm. it or whatever. And I did find some like drunk dial apps uh, or whatever, <laughs> But they just didn't quite work the way I did. So I don't know. Maybe we need to create an app, right? That's that genius. The, uh, the therapist, anger, whatever, recovery app, right? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Mark. the three of us, right there. <laughs> Down in the world. Um, I'm so glad that, uh, I saying, Rebecca, I'm so glad that you enjoy anger because that was uh, <laughs> nice, right? That was. No, that really, that helped. I think that helped that whole conversation. I love that. Um, I'll, I'll do, I won't keep you much longer. The chapter 12, when emotions get stuck, are we subconsciously trying to, oh, I was, <laughs> I was, I was telling you my notes. Chapter 12 is about when emotions get stuck. Um, and, and so I I wonder, I want to, you know, tell me more about that, uh, Julian Rebecca, where that comes from, that, that chapter. Yeah.
2: So that one was actually yours. Oh, again. Yeah, really? I tried, Yeah. Nice. And it, I think originally it was really focused on PTSD and trauma. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. And then it, you know, got opened up a little bit more um, so that even more of our readers could resonate, I think. Yeah,
1: yeah, but the PTSD, the post traumatic stress part is when you know, um, having we both worked at the VA hospital, oh, yeah, yeah, in, in San Diego, so we see we have seen a lot of these emotions getting stuck, um, not just for veterans and military people, but for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, my experience of when emotions get stuck is that there's an antidote for that, mm-hmm. there's a cure for that, and the cure is awesome. It's called self-compassion. And um, wow. to me, um, at, you know, feelings get stuck. It's normal. It's natural. They get stuck in the body. They get stuck in the mind. They get stuck in relationships with another person. However, along with the mindfulness and the taking a deep breath is to understand that there is a cure and self-being self, being compassionate for yourself in the experience of being stuck is to me, what, what we work on mm-hmm. at, in, in, therapy and also personally. So,
0: okay. And what does yeah. that mean? Like, I feel like you, the three of us, we're going to know what that means, but self-compassion when someone's stuck, what, what, what would that look like? I guess for someone.
2: Yeah. The way I think of self-compassion that clients can often connect with is, you know, what would you tell your best friend? Ah, okay. Situation, yes. You know, because oh, that's good. Yeah. We don't often treat ourselves that way. Right. right. We're, we're, we're berating ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas for someone that we loved and someone we were caring for, um, we would offer them so much compassion, kindness. Like, wow, that sounds really hard what yeah. you're going through. I can see how you reacted that way. Right. Uh, maybe not how you wanted to react, but I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, that, the talking to
1: yourself that way, that is self-compassion yeah. and it's powerful.
2: Well,
3: that's good. <laughs>
1: And there may be other ways to to walk around the stuck feeling. For example, in our book, we talk about um, a person who couldn't go to the grocery store because he was so agitated or it reminded him of something um, that was traumatic. So a a friend hearing this would say, you know, maybe you want to go a little bit later in the evening or maybe when everybody's gone, you want to go at 11 o'clock. It's okay. It's okay. So the idea of giving yourself permission to do, you know, circle around behaviors. If you're feeling stuck in a certain
0: way. I love And what just came to my mind. I love that example of, uh, because I feel like sometimes if you were looking at what with a friend who said that you would say, or, you know what? Hey, I'll, I'll go, I'll go with you. I'll be there with you. And I feel like if we're beating ourselves up, I I don't want to bother anybody. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to inconvenience anyone. So I wouldn't ask for help. Right. Right. But, but, Oh, that's good. Okay. Um, okay. 33, this is a hot one for me. Um, relationships that don't work you know and especially coming from a place of addiction and i love how you guys laid out earlier that you know kind of where addiction comes from and what it's about and so uh we have all of these feelings and where whether our dopamine systems have been hijacked and we just want to feel better and all these sort of things and we're going to therapy and we're doing mindfulness but what does that look like if we're in a relationship that is not healthy or toxic or
2: yeah. yeah It looks hard. (laughs) Yeah. That's what it looks like that is for me, one of the biggest challenges clinically, um, because I can have a client I'm working with individually who is really wanting better health and wanting wellness and moving towards that. Um, and then going back into a home environment or a a toxic relationship that is really sabotaging the progress and and they kind of know it. But, um, as we all know, attachment is huge and, um, exiting relationships is not easy and sticking up for ourselves in relationships, changing relationship dynamics is not easy. Um, so this, again, I mean, I know we're on this, um, self-compassion piece right now, but I do think that's huge too, is compassion for that whole experience. Like for me, bringing compassion to how challenging that is, Mm. um, be in a difficult relationship because sometimes the friends are saying like, you should just break up with them or you should just leave your marriage or this, you know, and then they're sitting with like the guilt and the shame around if I was stronger, like it, let's right. just make the fact that it's, this is incredibly hard and here's where your stuck place is mm-hmm. and let's acknowledge that. And then we can look at it and sit with it in this honest way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's yeah. kind of a, an opening.
0: Do you guys find that, I mean, do you find that when people do get you know healthy or when they, when they really get Beyond, I mean, like right in the the fifty-two mindful ways to live joyfully beyond addiction. That sometimes when people get beyond addiction, that then they do realize that they that this isn't the person that got in the relationship, the toxic relationship, and and they they are going to feel different. Maybe they do feel more empowered, or maybe you know now this new them goes home and here's oh you think you're you know special, right? Or and it's just do you do you run into that often?
2: Yes, I I find that getting sober or changing addictive behavior is one of the most empowering experiences, right? It's mm, like yeah. if you can take charge of that. Um, if you can day by day, like ride out a craving, ride out an urge, that you're learning so much about how strong you are and I'm certainly mirroring that back to clients, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Figuring out who you are and what's important to you is such a big process of recovery um, that I think people do then have a lot more strength to make different choices in their relationships, to to realize that they can be alone or they might even find another partner who feels healthier. (laughs) them um so it does open up a world of choice i think a lot of the process of therapy is sitting with all the feelings that come up around choice you mm-hmm. know and what's that like to suddenly yeah. have choices and now i can envision a whole bunch of different futures and maybe that makes me a little anxious sometimes oh. or you yeah. know because yeah. you know, the devil you know versus the devil you don't
1: as they right. say yeah um, so that's a whole part yeah. of the process too exactly i like what we wrote on page 145 this qu- this one question. Is this relationship supporting my vision of myself? Oh, yeah. I I just sometimes it just takes one question to shift the equation, Mm -hmm. and I think that's a pretty powerful question. Is this relationship supporting my vision of myself? Mm -hmm. And it takes some quiet time to answer that question. You can't be, you know, running around and trying to figure that one out. You actually have to slow down, give yourself the respect to answer the question write down the answer to the question and and sit with it for a bit um and there will be some changes yeah
0: well i like and that's when you said maybe at that point you need to go talk to a relationship counselor
1: exactly
0: and i do i do a lot of couples work and i i work from a a eft emotionally focused therapy place and and you know and that's where being really candid it's you know you're 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 trying to get somebody to be vulnerable right and it's a framework where there's a the responses of fixing and judgment aren't welcome in that dojo, right? I mean, so and I feel like sometimes that EFT framework even uh, exposes as a dramatic word, but it, you know, this new person, who this is how I feel, and and if the other person isn't able to kind of have empathy for that and understand, right, that, that will expose that at times, yep. yeah. It will.
2: Absolutely. And I just want to throw out there, because I think it's important for any clients that might be listening, is the Mindfulness Workbook has a very significant, I think the longest chapter in that book of 10 chapters is on relationships.
0: Oh, nice. And, okay.
2: Yeah. And one of the critical exercises in there is kind of a checklist about like, here's what healthy relationships look like, here's what you know questionable relationships look like, and here's the very unhealthy, unsafe relationships. So people can actually look at that and kind of go, I'm noticing this, I'm noticing that, and take a time to you know to work with the information privately with the workbook and I I do think that can be
0: helpful okay I'm so grateful yes because I do feel like even when we're doing couples therapy we're trying to sell this healthy relationship that sometimes it's hard to kind of step back and say oh if they've never seen that or they've never it wasn't modeled or then I'm trying to tell them you know and then there's a unicorn and you get on (laughs) its back and you ride to this place of gold because I feel like they're just like yeah that's not happening you know um, so I like that, the checklist of, uh, you know, that's yeah. good. I, I mean, <laughs> I feel like that was a dumb statement. That's good. You guys, that you wrote a book. <laughs> yeah. Well done. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> really, well, I'm going to get, I want to, that's okay. I'll have links to that in the show notes too. Then that's awesome. Um, Hey, so before I let you go, uh, any chapters that you in particular that we didn't cover that are just something that you're really passionate about or that you love?
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. For me, just oh god, I can't remember the name of the chapter, but there is a chapter specifically on um basically embracing emotions, oh getting comfortable with moods,
3: Mm -hmm. for
2: feelings. There's a couple of chapters in there. Um So yeah, for me, it's been such a process and a journey for myself to really accept all the feelings, not just the fun ones, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And to realize that they have a purpose, so they're not something that um, needs to get numbed out or gotten rid of, um, but really that I can look at something like fear or anger or... um, embarrassment or, you know, any of those ones that don't feel so great necessarily um, and see that they are a guidepost for me to learn about myself, to learn about, you know, um, to make choices. Um, So that's been really nice for me. And I really like that that's in the book because I think a lot of my addictive clients, right, they are not comfortable with feelings. They have not felt feelings in a while and um, the feelings were always a trigger to go and use. Um, so to really get comfortable with all the different feelings and be able to name them and be willing to sit with them and um, not be so scared of them, I think it's
0: really one of my favorite things. You know? Okay. And Re- Rebecca, what, what, uh, what comes uh, to uh, mind?
1: Yes, I'm, really into playful recovery, which is chapter 50. Okay. Um, I find that folks get so serious in, in, in recovery. And and so they kind of white knuckle at the beginning and, um, most people forget how to be joyful and play. Mm -hmm. So, um, Julie really put this one together so nicely. And I really, really kind of more and more as I'm, as I'm seeing more people, I'm gravitating more to just lightening it up. Oh yeah. Uh, Right. And having more fun, having it be cool, cool, you know, less intense. I
0: love that. And and here's my truth is I, you know, I loved the book. I didn't get to, I think I ended up getting about uh, 30 something chapters in. And Mm -hmm. that, I mean, I, and and I love even, you know, when Julie was, uh, we were kind of communicating about the interview, it was even, Hey, let's get, make sure that the two of you are together because you really play off each other. Well. And I feel like that's what I love about doing a podcast is that we can, we, we can interact and we can have fun and we can laugh. And because I feel yeah. like we, I'm sure you guys see this when you get new clients sometimes and I'll say, you know, if they're rookies, uh, what was that like? And usually they're, oh, I thought it was going to be a lot more stuffy or I thought it was going to be a lot more, you know, and, and that's not, I don't know, that's not as productive as I think it no, can be.
2: No, it's not really what works. It's not really what works. Like human connection has a lot of playfulness and that's, it's more authentic, yeah. right? Um, and it's so great for us to model that for clients too, that we can be a little playful. We can laugh, right? Mm-hmm. If you make a joke, I can laugh. It's, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's great.
0: I, I have to tell you, uh, I mean, I was, I had a client in this morning and I moved in my chair and kind of made a little bit of a, like a fart sound. And uh, <laughs> and I became so aware that I wonder if they think that I, you know, that I really just did that in the session. Yeah. So then I found that I had to. I'm like. I can repeat that sound, you know, and and so then I then I tried and I couldn't, and then I was like, okay, but it wasn't what it sounded. They're like, no, I understand. I didn't think that, <laughs> and I was like, okay, but did you for a moment? And they were like, well, yeah, the thought crossed my mind, you know. And it was fun, and it was just so fun, yeah. you know. And yes, we were, we we're talking heavy stuff, you know.
2: I feel like you you gave your client the permission. Oh. To, you know, to engage with, with an a awkward situation in their own life with a little yeah. levity and to, and to broach it. And, and then you could still move forward. And you still have a relationship. It's like what plays out in the room is so impactful.
0: Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad you pointed that chapter out too, Rebecca. That's that's uh, amazing. Um, okay. I kept you almost an hour. I'm so grateful for your time. This was so Thank fun.
1: You. Yeah.
0: The book is amazing. Now I want to go get the mindfulness workbook, the your previous work. Um, cause, uh, the mindfulness workbook for addiction, uh, this one, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna post the heck out of this thing and I'm going to give one of the books away that you guys sent to, um, so the gift of recovery, 52 mindful ways to live joyfully beyond addiction. Um, mm-hmm. I would love to, I don't know, down the road, get you on. I, I, you both worked at the VA. I'd love to talk maybe PTSD sometime or some things like that as well.
3: Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. But this has been a blast. So yes. where do people, where do people find you? I will have things everywhere, but where will, you yeah. Know, about you? yeah. Uh,
2: so, we have um, the mindfulnessworkbook.com, um, mm-hmm. which kind of has our books and a little bit about us. And um, of course, the books are on Amazon always. Mm-hmm. And then um, my website clinically is uh, juliecrafttherapy.com. So, you can also
0: Perfect. find stuff there. Perfect. I'll have links to all of that. So, all right. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. No, I look forward to talking to you again uh, in the not too distant future.
2: Great. Perfect. Thank, thank
3: you ocean's flying past, our heads and out the other end, the pressures of the daily grind. It's wonderful, elastic waste and rubber ghost. I'm floating past the midnight hour, they push aside the things that matter.